Acts chapter 16 as we seek God's sovereignty and God's uh, discernment and seeking godly wisdom. And uh, as I'll direct you in a moment through these verses, we'll look at verse 6 through verse 10 today with a sermon that, as you can see, is entitled to seek godly wisdom and what would that look like for the believers? How do we seek godly wisdom over the wisdom of this world? And the corresponding scripture this morning that Berkeley read from James chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, it said, Count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That verse 5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, what does it say? Let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. The context of this wisdom from James has everything to do with gospel proclamation and living out a gospel-centered life in gospel-centered community. It has everything to do with making much of Jesus when the world is pressing in around you on all sides and especially when the enemy is persecuting you for making much of Jesus to those around you. If you want to see the enemy raise up against a child of God in Christ, begin to preach the gospel and you will see the enemy rise and persecute those who proclaim Jesus. When you are pressed on every side, when you meet various trials, not just one in particular, although one in particular uh, is a qualifier to meet seeking godly wisdom, in all areas, in various trials, ask God to give His wisdom. And I know, according to God's Word, He will give wisdom and He has given wisdom. And I pray that you are here this morning, sitting under the sound of my voice, and you have entered this sanctuary today seeking godly discernment and godly wisdom. If you are not, then I begin to ask my, myself this question. If I am not seeking godly wisdom, what am I doing here today? What is my motive and what is my intention if it is not to seek godly wisdom and counsel this morning, why do your Sunday school teachers invest the time to study the lesson and the many hours it takes to study the lesson if we never plan on adhering to the wisdom therein? What good is it for me to spend 48 hours in sermon preparation if all we're going to do is walk out of here and forget what was said in 10 minutes flat? Now, I'm not disclosing this so you can look at me and say, oh, look at him, look how much he studies. No, that is not why I mentioned that at all. My greatest concern and my greatest desire as a pastor, as an overseer, is to see God's people grow in leaps and bounds in their faith. But we are not going to grow in our faith if we are not adhering to godly counsel. If all we are doing is adhering to worldly, quote-unquote, wisdom, more than we are the Word of God, then we will not grow in our faith. We will not grow. 
We're not going to grow in our walk with Jesus. We're not going to strengthen gospel community if we're not drawing into godly counsel. If we are not setting under the authority of God's word. Godly counsel and godly wisdom is what I want to speak to you about today. And I hope you have a copy of God's word with you and have already turned to Acts chapter 16. I will ask you if you will, let's stand for the sacred, for the reading of the sacred text, this life-changing uh, transformative word of God that stand together. I'll begin at verse 6 and read through verse 10 on seeking godly discernment and godly wisdom and what that looks like for the life of a believer. Beginning at verse 6, the Bible says, They, the apostles, went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they came to Mysia and they attempted to go to Bithynia, they uh, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So by passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And a Macedonian man was standing there and urging them. And he said to them, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God has called us to preach the gospel to them. Lord, we ask you to add your blessing to the reading of this word. God, soften our heart. Lord, strengthen our mind through the word of God. Strengthen our walk with you. Strengthen our relationship with you and one with another. Lord, bind us together. Unite us together under the strong banner of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit and in the will of God the Father. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Now, if you were to travel a bit back into to the book of Acts in chapter 16, last we find ourselves in chapter 16, you'll notice that the church was beginning to grow its spiritual muscles. That was the lesson or the sermon the last time we were together was growing in stereo and what that looks like to put spiritual muscles upon believers and worshipers, and how that, in effect, puts spiritual muscles on the collective body of Christ. The Lord is adding to the church daily. This become a characteristic of the early church, and God is adding to His church today. God is adding to the kingdom today. We are first introduced, at least into the biblical narrative, we are introduced in verse 1 to Timothy. And we know that Timothy would later become an integral part of Paul's missionary journeys. He would become a partner with, Tim, uh, with Paul uh, in the missionary endeavors. Uh, Timothy would become an overseer. He would become a pastor of sorts. We would find him at the church of Ephesus. And he is dear to the apostle Paul. The word of God informs us in the beginning portions of chapter 16, that Timothy had a good reputation amongst his peers. He was well spoken of, and it was used to his advantage to begin to preach to Jew and Gentile alike. And Paul, knowing that Timothy had a Jewish mother and a Greek father, Timothy was circumcised in order to give gospel avenue and gospel audience to Jew and Gentile alike. In short, the Apostle Paul was shaping Timothy to be all things to all men in order to save some. This is what Paul preached. This is what he taught. This is what he, uh, this is what he gave as an example, an outline, a framework. And Timothy fit within this frame. 
this framework. Now, why did the church grow? Well, the true gospel was preached. It was not a watered-down gospel. It was not a works-based gospel. It was not some country club, Christianese-type gospel. It was the true gospel that Jesus died on the cross, He is Messiah, and He rose again. They, all, they grew also because they stuck around and they began to disciple the new believers. They didn't just hand them a track or the gospel of John once they made a profession of faith and be on their way. No, they stuck in there and they began to disciple the new, new believers. They were in the trenches that was filled with cultural nuances from Jew and Gentile alike. They were in the trenches of the culture for the sake of the gospel. And of course, as the Bible is explicit they were well spoken of. And God grew His church in number and He began to put spiritual muscle on them as they exercised their faith in Jesus. We also must understand that God is growing His church and in order to grow His church, it is not totally contingent on their work, which means God can grow His church even in spite of His people. <laughs> Isn't it funny how that works? God grows His church sometimes, I can't explain it, even sometimes in spite of His people. And He done that here in the early church, and He does that today. But more importantly, God elected to use them to grow the early church, the church and to spread it to the uttermost parts of the world. Now they began to travel back towards Galatia. They had their mindset on discipling the churches and the Gentile believers there, but they were redirected by God Himself. God redirected them to take a detour towards the east. As we look at a map, they were to make a detour to the east, head towards Troas, which would eventually set them on sale to Macedonia. So a couple of things I want to bring out in the text this morning, how we might seek godly discernment. And how we might do that, number one, is to make sure that our plans align with God's plans. Now, you notice that isn't reverse, which is sometimes the culture of the church today. We might say, God, we want you to come here and you want, we want you to join us in this work. God, we know we're doing this work down here. We want you to come and, and join us in, the, in this work. No, we align our work with God's plans. We align our plans with God's plan, not the other way around. We don't tell God what to do. We seek God's Word, and we follow God's Word and His will, and we make our plans according to that. Have you ever asked the Lord, where do I go, and what, and what do I do? What is your will? How many in here, show a raise of hands, how many has asked, God, what is your will for my life? Probably every single hand, if you haven't raised it, you thought it. I've asked that question. Every single child of God who has called Jesus Lord, who has been saved, who is redeemed, ask this question, what is your will, and what do I need to do to make much of you? Every child of Christ seeking to be mature, okay, seeking to be mature in their faith, has asked, Lord, what would you have me to do? Now, as you knelt beside your bed, or as you put your head on the pillow at night, or whatever avenue it is that you ask this question, in whatever context that you ask this question in, I will ask you this, did a light shine from heaven around you? Did it enclose you? Did this light from heaven envelop you and lift you off in some ethereal heaven? Did this light envelop you? Did you hear an audible voice of heaven speaking to you and say, Son or daughter, you need to do this and this and this? No! 
And the reason I mention that is because it is amazing about how many people today who will essentially say, I know what God's Word says about following His will and His purpose. I know what God's Word says, but then in the next breath will say, if God speaks to you about it, let me know. Instead of, let's search the Scriptures together and find God's will. That's what community is for as well. If I have a question about the will that God, God's will in my life, I want to search the Scriptures and then I want to harvest, I want to glean the wisdom from the community of believers to help me to navigate through what God would have me to do. One thing to keep in mind concerning the book of Acts, as we mentioned before, that the Lord is building His church and He's using the apostles who have walked and talked and seen Jesus, has felt His wounds and heard Him speak and heard Him teach, saw the resurrected Lord. He is building His church through them and His kingdom. And He is beginning to piece together over history what we would call the Holy Bible that we get to handle and hold, the Holy Scriptures. He's beginning to piece His written Word together and begin to transmit what He wants through the ages so we can have and handle and hold God's Word. But the early, the early origins of the church here did not have a, a, the privilege to open up the New Testament and read through. So God is using the apostles and giving them clear direction by the Holy Spirit and speaking to them in this way. So the Holy Spirit led them and redirected them from Galatia now, for a point of reference, uh, here's a map of where uh, Paul and company and, and Timothy will be heading into. You can see I've circled where they have been, where they are initially going up towards Galatia, and then how they will be rerouted. They will not, be, they will not go into the northern above Galatia, but will be rerouted, rerouted around Asia towards Troas that you see marked there. Not the exit says no, not to go there, but on the eastern coast, and there they will set sail for Macedonia. But look at verse 6. So they went through the region of Phrygians and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Examining the life of the Apostle Paul is a fascinating history. Examining the character and the nature of the Apostle Paul, seeing his personality pour out of the Scripture is, is a fascinating thing to follow his missionary journeys. You'll notice, you, you will find that, that Paul not only uses persuasive, argument, argumentative language in a, in a formal fashion, he knows how to form an argument in the right way. Not just arguing with, with people, but to frame it in such a way as to make an argument and giving a, a valid conclusion where the premises and the, and, the, and the conclusion line up together. Paul was a master of this, but he was also a great strategist. Paul was a great strategist. In, um, and what we find in the Apostle Paul in, in his strategies is that the Lord uses these characteristics to propagate the gospel of Jesus to Jew and Gentile alike. Now, if you don't believe that Paul was a strategist, look at what he did with Timothy. He says you, must, you need to be circumcised in order so that we can go into the synagogue and to persuade our brothers who are Jewish that Jesus is Messiah without there being any stumbling block here. In all of Paul's missionary journeys, there is a sense that Paul was in tune 
with the Holy Spirit of God and seeking the Lord's direction. And we know the apostles are heading back into those places that, I'm, that was on the map just a while ago. These are places that people come to know the Lord Jesus and that the apostles were discipling. He was pointing them towards spiritual maturity in Jesus. He wanted the people who come to know Christ as Lord, who are redeemed, who are regenerate, who are saved by the blood of Christ. He wanted these believers to be strengthened in their faith. And so he is heading back to witness to these folks and to help them along their journey and to see them to become mature in Christ. Uh, that is more likely where Paul and his company were heading. After visiting the churches they, uh, that they had planted in South Galatia by Barnabas and himself, their initial plans were to remain along the road to Ephesus, but the Holy Spirit prohibited him and his associates to travel this road. And so we see in verse 7 that they came up to Mysian and attempted to go in Bithynia, which is north above Galatia. But the Holy Spirit, or the Spirit of Jesus mentioned, mentioned here, do not allow them to go. And so passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. Notice in verse 7 that this time, instead of the Holy Spirit forbidding them to go, now it says the Spirit of Jesus. More than likely, this is a special vision or a revelation given to the Apostle Paul by Jesus himself. Just, I want to remind you that this is given to the apostles and is not commonplace for a person to have a vision of Jesus appear to them today. As I mentioned, this is in the early stages of the church where the Lord is beginning to establish His church and after a while the apostles will begin to die off. Now we might see places in, throughout the world, in, especially amongst Muslim countries and nations where Muslim families might see a vision of Messiah and the vision of Jesus would always point them to hear the missionary, to hear the Word of God. But it is not commonplace for most folks, especially in Western culture, to see a vision of Jesus because we have the canon of Scripture for us today. So here again is the map of these travels. The Lord gives the areas traveled and detours them and ultimately to get them where God would have them to go. God calls them, gives them a detour that had to take them out of and away from where they were originally going so that God would get them where He had called them to go. Now there is so much application in what I've just said. So much said that there is not a lot of heavy lifting that I have to do for this application and present it to you. So let me say, the, so let me say this again as a point of application that the map is before us. It gives us a visual of all the areas that the apostle traveled. Listen to this. And the detours taken for them to get to where God would have them to go. Now think about that in your life and in my life. I can think of many detours in my life and your walk with the Lord where you thought that you were on the right track and God gave a detour by His providence 
and pointed you elsewhere to get you exactly where God wanted you to be. Now, if I found myself in my comfortable state of being some 15 years ago, I would still be driving for the city of Jacksonville. But by God's providence and His sovereignty, He pointed towards the direction. I can't say that I was always obedient to that direction to put me exactly where God would have me to go. And there's pitfalls and detours along the way, and you could probably say the same in your life. That there are areas in your life you thought you were on the right track, but God gave a detour by His providence and His sovereignty, and you found yourself exactly where God would have you to be. We are reminded in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, very familiar verses that says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Church, what does that say? Trust in the Lord with what? With all of your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. Don't seek the wisdom of the world. Seek godly wisdom. And in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. Now that doesn't mean that you won't trip and fall along the way and hit a pitfall here or there. Why did God direct Paul and company? Why did Paul become redirected by the sovereignty of God? We are not given an explicit answer to that other than that they would ultimately need to travel to Macedonia and to preach the gospel there. Why does God redirect our path? Well, I would offer you a solution, the best that I can think of. Why does God redirect our path first so that He would ultimately give the glory and that we would return worship and rightful worship ultimately back to Him and give Him glory. It is for our own good and it is to keep us from harm. God loves you so and He does not want you to find yourself in harm's way. Why do you think that God spoke to Moses through the burning bush? Why do you think that God spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai and gave him a copy of the commands for Israel? They are roadmaps so that they would keep themselves from harm as they reflect the character and nature of God as they live out these commandments in their life and look to, to return worship to God Almighty. So it is for our own good, for God's glory, and to keep us from harm. Because I will say this, if we are left to our own devices, sometimes carnal decisions are made, are they not? We might mess it up, and often we do. If God did not intervene, we would most likely take the path of least resistance. And if we take the path of least resistance in this walk with Jesus, we will never build any strength. If we are sitting comfortably in our recliner all the days of our life, we will never build up any strength, any muscles whatsoever. So we would take the path of least resistance and always lean more towards the comfortable path. Who said that following Jesus would be a bed of roses or be comfortable? Anybody say that? Did Jesus say that? Did Jesus say living a life consecrated to Christ would be comfortable or that it would even be easy in and of itself? In what I call the comfort segment of Isaiah, 
the prophet offers these words to, uh, to Israel. In Isaiah 41 and verse 10, he says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Now, of course, today, the righteous hand would be the righteous hand of Christ Jesus, our Lord, who would uphold us and keep us and the blessing of the Holy Spirit to lead and guide and direct as well. But the question remains is, why do we run to the folly of worldly wisdom instead of godly counsel? Do we somehow think that the system of this world offers professional help, whereas the biblical counsel and wisdom is not as valid? Do we think that somehow the offering of the worldly wisdom is somehow more superior or more authoritative than biblical counsel? And by the way, if we were forming a logical argument, this would be the fallacy of appealing to authority. We want to say, let's bring in the scientists, let's bring in the anthropologists, let's bring in God's Word. Now, we might not come out and say that, but sometimes our actions speak louder than our words. Let's lean into the worldly wisdom on what the world has to offer. Let's bring in the experts. When the world would say, you define love this way, what is our response? How does the Word of God define what love is? When the world says, you define marriage this way, what does God's Word say? How do we define marriage in light of Genesis 1, 26 and 27, and in the words of Christ Jesus pointing back? How do we define marriage when the psycho, psycho babble of the world says, blame yourself or blame everyone else for your problems, point to the past and blame everyone else on your problems. What does godly counsel say? That we are broken, we are sinful, that we are totally depraved and deprived of all spiritual excellence and fertility in our life. No, we cannot approach God in and of ourselves. What does godly counsel say? So my challenge and admonition for you is to pick up the Bible and seek counsel there. Now I might be speaking to someone this morning who might be on a difficult path. You might be at, you might be at rock bottom. You may be wondering where to go. You might be on a difficult path. You might have some difficult decisions to make in your life. And you may be seeking answer from the Lord, and He may even be redirecting you by His providence from time to time as He does, but the important thing is that we seek His godly counsel first. And I might also submit this, that sometimes seeking godly counsel might also be best done in community. In community. I love these words from John Piper, and I think they are worth repeating. On being on an unwanted path, he said, you might find yourself on an unwanted path, one that tempts you to wonder if following Christ is worth it. Take heart. By God's grace, you will be confident that you are not here by some cruel twist of fate. If Christ has chosen you as His own and given you faith to believe the truth of the gospel, then you are on the only path worth following. And Christ promises to equip you and to be near, no matter how it feels for the moment. Keep your eyes fixed on Christ, confident that they are 
unimaginable treasures in store on the winding road to glory. And I believe the Apostle Paul and company had their eyes fixed on Jesus and the work of the gospel. They are willing to go wherever God had led them to go. They are moved around, as was marked on this map, around Asia Minor, up to where God would have them to go. But secondly, make sure your vision aligns with God's vision. Again, not the other way around. We don't say, God, uh, we know that you got some plan. we got some plans for you. Come align yourself up with our plans. No. But often, church, time, churches find themselves in predicaments and situations is because they are not lining themselves up with what God has in store, what God had planned and has spelled out in His Word. And why do we align our vision with God's vision? Why? Because there are still lost people in the world today. There are still people in the world who are lost and who do not know Jesus. There are still people in the church who need to grow in their faith. And I am one. Verse 9 and 10 says, The vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God has called us to preach the gospel to them. Now here is the Apostle Paul at Troas, which was founded by Alexander the Great in the 4th century. It's a port, a port city that remained there. It is an important place for communications for the Roman world and for, uh, for Roman and, and Greco uh, communications. Very important place. And it is no mistake that Paul would find himself there at Troas, for they would set sail for Macedonia from that port. God in His providence and sovereignty had moved the Apostle Paul to bypass over Asia and to find himself in this port city to set sail to Macedonia. And if Paul was to ask the question, why Troas? Why here, God? Why this port city? The response in the vision would be the answer. The Macedonian man crying out, here's your answer. Come over here, set sail, help us. We see that Paul responded immediately. He was ready to go, ready to drop everything. You'll also notice that it may be implied that Luke the Evangelist was there with them. As the word we is used, some would say this could be Luke the Evangelist here with them to describe their situation, or it could be simply that Luke was recording their situation and the history by another apostle. But he was recording the, this uh, narrative nonetheless. The identity of this Macedonian man is not known. To try to identify this Macedonian man, I think, is to miss the initial call for help. We do not want the identity of this Macedonian man to overshadow the cry for help. It is simply, come to this region. We need your help. But what did they need? And how could Paul and company help? What was Paul offering? How could Paul help? Now, the only way that they could help was to take the good news of Jesus Messiah to them and essentially invade their culture. The end of verse 10 is the answer to that question. Why? It's because God has called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, Macedonia was a very large country in Europe. It takes the name 
of Macedonia from Macedo or Macedo, a son of Jupiter initially. So it does have pagan roots in that. Again, why is this message going to Macedonia? What is the way that the gospel will help? In what ways can the gospel help? In the words of John Gill, who was a predecessor to Charles Haddon Spurgeon, John Gill said, How can they help? By praying and preaching. To pull down the kingdom of Satan. To destroy superstition and idolatry. To enlighten the eyes of men. To turn them from darkness into light. From the power of God, from the power of Satan to God. And to save them from utter ruin and to save them from destruction. In other words, what they needed to do as they hear the gospel is to tear down the idols, to disregard worthless superstitions, so throw away all the cabinet of, of pagan gods, throw away your horoscopes, throw away your self-help books, and what every human being really needs is salvation and saving from the wrath of God Almighty. Charles Spurgeon once said in a sermon, he said, the greatest help that can be given to any people is the preaching of the gospel. Why it is so neglected, I do not know. He says, those who have not the gospel stand in the greatest need of help. But when the gospel is carried, you carry everything with it. Everything with it. And so on that note, I will say this in closing. That ministry and outreach within the good news message is just simply preaching the word. But ministry and outreach without the good news message is just a simple social gospel. Any club or any entity can engage in the social gospel, that is, without the proclamation of the good news. But the church of the living God has been called to preach the true gospel, the truth of Christ. This means that the message of the gospel, that Jesus was crucified, for our sins, and that he was buried in a tomb, <laughs> and that on the third day he rose again, is the primacy of our message. That is our message. That Jesus was crucified and risen again and is triumphant over sin, death, hell, and the grave, and he is returning one day. And that message best accompany our good works. What good is good works if the underpinning is not the good news? In the 19th century, the term social gospel was coined. Proponents of this, mo of this movement wanted to address the social ills of the day and the societal problems of the day. And they were trying 
to apply the principles of the Christian faith to, to the ills of society and societal problems. The social gospel, and I think good intentions, it sought to address the rising problems such as poverty and crime and warfare and starvation. Anything that would have been a burden on society, a burden on the individual, thus that had a burden on society, this social gospel sought to address. But the problem that arose was simple. That as the issue of society and the problems in society were elevated, the doctrine of sin and salvation were degraded. People didn't hear that we were broken and sinful and that our greatest need was salvation. They didn't hear that we were lost and undone and needed a Savior. As we were feeding their bellies and clothing their backs, they were forgetting the greatest need was they need Christ. Instead of giving the people what they really needed, which was the life-changing, life-altering, transformative gospel, they simply were putting a band-aid on the bigger problem and the bigger element and the deeper problem, and that is sin and brokenness. If you need to look for this in the truth of the Word, you only need to look at the life of Jesus to see what was important. What was important with Jesus was Jesus looking primarily to put clothes on the back of the people? Was He looking to feed primarily their bellies, even though He fed 4,000, 5,000, even though He opened the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf? Or did Jesus come ultimately to preach and to eradicate sin by His vicarious death? Man's greatest need is not the clothes on their back, but the sin in their hearts and the need to have those sins lifted by, by and through the work of Jesus. So listen to me, church. Listen to me. What we get to do, church, this is exciting. What we get to do, hear me out. We get to address the needs of people and share the good news while doing so. We get to meet a need and to share the good news. Because here's what I believe with all of my heart. If you want to break the vicious cycle of famine, the vicious cycle of starvation, if you want to break the sinful cycle in humanity, if you want to change the political atmosphere and the dynamics of a nation, you change the heart with the gospel. Paul and company answered this Macedonian call to send the light, the blessed gospel light. Let it shine from shore to shore. Once more, the words of Spurgeon are stinging and convicting that the greatest help that the gospel brings is help to the soul. Does not your heart desire to see the blind eye opened, the misguided directed, the vicious led to virtue and the virtuous to righteousness? You must send the gospel far and wide, for how can they believe without a preacher? How can they preach except they be sent? Let us not put another plate of food down before a sinner without putting the gospel before them as well. So I'll end on this, and then we'll pray. Acts 16.10 Paul had seen the vision 
And immediately, he says, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding, this is what we conclude, that God has called us to preach the gospel to them. Seek godly discernment and not the wicked, twisted ways of this world. Let's pray together. If